You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Let's go to chapter three, and uh, we'll see this here. Our theme for the chapter is life's prize, and it's the spiritual mind in Christ. And so we're looking at the spiritual mind in Christ. Of course, the mind is a major theme that Paul is talking about. And this chapter, we're specifically talking about the spiritual mind, minding spiritual things. And our key verse is from verse 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so we come to... Chapter 3, and he says here in verse 12, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself. Now we talked last week how we need to learn to count in God's eternal currencies. And we need to count the way God counts, not the way the world counts. And so Paul says this, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Here it is. If you need singularity of focus in your life, this is what you ought to be focused on. And he said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so he lets us know that he has singularity of focus. And the focus is for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Now, we, we stated this. We know that there is a prize to be had and there is a high calling to receive of the Lord. I have received that high calling. You have received that high calling. What is that high calling? That high calling is to be changed, to be redeemed, to be born again, to be born into not an earthly kingdom, but into a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom, amen, whose promise does not fade away with the corruptible things of this earth, but whose promise is everlasting. And that's what Paul is saying. I am pressing for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? The prize is everlasting life in Christ Jesus. And he's going to talk about that at the end of the chapter. Amen. I hope you are not just living for God so that you can have a bigger paycheck in your future. Is that all right? I hope we're not living for God just because we feel like God has better odds than the lottery. Now, let me just put a, put a little word out here. God has much better odds than the lottery. But that's not why I'm living for God at the end of the day. At the end of the day, Job said, naked came I into this world, naked will I go. I brought nothing in, I can take nothing out, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he said, yet, he said, though in my flesh... He said, skin worms will destroy my body. He said, yet someday I shall see God. Hallelujah. And that's what Paul was living for. Amen. He already said it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If, if, if my life on this earth ceases, he said, well, hey, I've, I've got a heavenly reward that's waiting for me. You, you cannot threaten a man of God or a woman of God that has eternity in their perspective. Come on. The devil can't threaten a born-again child of God that has eternity in their perspective. When you're focused on, on eternity and the enemy comes up, he can throw whatever he wants. Sickness, amen, poverty, amen, bereavement. He can throw all that stuff. And you can say, hey, Satan, that's not going to mind. That's not going to matter because I'm going to pass away and I'm going to lose all that anyway. But what I'm living for is beyond this life. That's what Paul said. If there's one thing I do, I'm living for that. We ought to still be focused on our everlasting hope and life in Christ. That's the one thing that we put ourselves for. Paul said this in verse 12. He said, not as though I've already attained. And we made this statement last night or, or last week rather. Good enough, done enough, have enough is the enemy of the spiritual mind. We don't get to the place to where we say, well, I've done enough in Christ. Or I have enough in Christ. We're going to see this in chapter 4. We don't get to the place to where we say, I I've done enough for the Lord and it's good enough. I don't need to do anymore. Paul said no. I don't get to that place. I don't have the luxury of that. But every day that I live, I'm living for more. We have revival this week. You, you should not. I should not say, I've been to my share of revivals. I don't need more revival. No. I've been to my share of revivals to know that I need revival. Every day I need revival. Now, we can't have too much revival. I never heard anybody say, well, you know, I, I just can't go to that church anymore. They have too much revival. Now, they can wear you out with too much stuff. But that doesn't mean, but when you're, I'm talking about real revival. You can't have too much revival, folks. Nobody, nobody walks away saying, you know what? I just, I can't, I can't follow Jesus anymore. Every time I went there, he's just handing out free loaves and fishes, and he was just doing this masterful teaching, just doing all these miracles. Nobody does that. No, they came back looking for more. I'm not looking for less. I'm looking for more. Amen. So that, that means that we've always got to have that. My, my goodness, we, we should dream of a day where we pack out every seat in this place. Is that all right? Is it, is it okay to dream big? Pack out every seat in this place, and then not just to have a full house, because we could have a full house, but to have a full house praising and magnifying God. Can anybody just dream there with me for a little bit? Imagine what it would be like. We have 350 pew chairs. If we had 350 people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that came in at the start of the service that were ready to worship and lift up and magnify God and hear the word and amen the word. We, we, we wouldn't, have, when we get to that service, we should not say, well, well, we're here. We can stop having church now. No, you know what we ought to say then is say, well, we've got, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 stairs over here. We can fit 16 more people over here. We can fit 16 more people over here. We ought to be looking for more. I don't want enough. I'm looking for more of the Lord. Hallelujah. Clap your hands unto the Lord if you believe that tonight. Yes. Amen. So Paul tells us, he said, but in, in my attempt to look forward, I am forgetting those things which are behind. So you will break the power of the past by living for the future. <laughs> and I'm glad that I have a blessed future in Christ Jesus. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Hallelujah. Don't worry about the past. Forget about the past. Don't be bound by the past. Don't be defined by the past. Don't be limited by the past. Well, we tried it before and it didn't work. Well, we tried it before and it didn't work. God says, um, well, I know you've been out there all night toiling, but now go back and throw your nets on the other side. <laughs> Come on. If they're living in the past and say, Lord, we've been there all day, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time. You know, it doesn't matter which side of the boat, we've been in the water, the same water. And the Lord said, no, you go out there and you do this. You've got to forget, you've got to forget what you've done in the past and you're living forward. And that's what Paul is talking about. We're living forward. So those who would be perfect, amen, they were not perfected yet, but they were on their way to perfection. So the spiritual mind is a mind that is focused on Christ or patterned after Christ. The spiritual mind is a mind that knows how to count in eternal currencies. And Paul uses that terminology, I count. He uses that a couple times in this chapter. We've got to learn how to count in God's economy. Can I just say this as a, as, as a side tangent? In God's economy, the way up is down. You humble yourself. You repent. And you know what? He exalts you. And he lifts you up. So we can't think, we can't bring our carnal mindset into the kingdom of God. We've got to learn to count in God's currencies. The spiritual mind does not put faith in the flesh, in our flesh. And he talked about that. We're not trusting in the flesh of the Old Testament Mosaic law. These things were checks and balances. I did this, this, and this. He said, because that, that's, that all fails. So we have to put our faith, not in the flesh, but we put our faith in the spirit. Put our faith in Christ Jesus. So let's look here. And he says in verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us mind the same thing. So walk on in the level that you have attained. So wherever God has brought you, don't be seeking to go back, but walk at the level where God has brought you. Now, this is a good practical, this is a good practical verse for us in church because. In church, it, it should be, it ought to be, that not everybody's on the same spiritual level. Is this all right? Because you have some that have knew in Christ. You have some that have been serving Christ many years. And as we're going to see later on, Paul said that, that the experiences in his life taught him some things. And he says in chapter 4, he's going to use the terminology, I've learned some things. So there's some of us that have learned some things. And then there's other of us that we're still yet learning those things. And so what he's saying is, is, is don't slide back. Don't, don't go back. Don't look at the person sitting next to you and say, well, they're not living at this level that I'm at, so I'm going to go back. No, you live at the level that God has already brought you to, and you keep going forward. And don't measure your progress against somebody else. Don't mind that. You mind Christ is our rule. Christ is our measure. Paul said it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. If we're comparing ourselves among ourselves, we may say, well, hey, you know, I'm only going to reach this plateau because this is where brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is at. No, I'm going to follow after Christ and where he leads me, whatever he leads me to, that's what I'm going to do. And then he goes on here and in verse 17, he talks about the power of in samples. In verse 17, let's look at this. Brethren, be followers together of me, 
And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. And so now he is giving to us the power of an ensample. That's an old uh, word that we don't use much anymore. But it, uh, it implies or it means uh, a die, something that is struck, something that is cast. By implication, a stamp or a scar. The, by analogy, it's a, a shape or a statue. The style of the resemblance. And so we're saying there are ensamples. There are molds that have been made that you are to follow after. We all have spiritual examples and ensamples in our lives. Maybe it was a grandmother that prayed. Maybe it was a, 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 a father that worshipped. Maybe it was a, a, a mother that brought us to church. Maybe it was a, a grandparent or, or a pastor or a minister or a missionary. But somebody that really struck in our mind and wow, we got up close and we saw their life and we saw their integrity and we saw their character and then yet we saw their passion for the Lord. And so Paul gives us license. He says, mark them which walk so. <laughs> mark them which walk so. Look at those which have walked so. Those that have lived through some things and maintained their faith and their integrity and their spiritual focus. He said, make them your ensample. Make that something. Hey, this is an example for me. Now, I'm not measuring myself to the limit of them. You get what I'm saying? I'm not saying, okay, I'm only going to do what I saw them do. No, because God may be leading me farther than that. But that becomes an anchor or a mooring, an example of, hey, this is how we ought to pray. This is how we ought to worship. This is how I ought to have a love for truth. This is how I ought to focus on holiness in my life. This is how I ought to endeavor to reach the lost. This is a soul winner. And you mark them, amen, that have a spiritual mindset among you. Now, this is interesting because Paul is talking to the church and he's telling us to mark them. That means not everybody in the church, is this all right, <laughs> needs to necessarily be highlighted at this moment in time. Thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy. That lets me be in the body of Christ even when I'm not worthy of mention. <laughs> even when I'm not worthy of a highlight. I, I ought to just stop right there and thank God for that. Because, come on, we've all had our days. We've all had our weeks. Some of us, it's been months. Maybe even years before. But yet we were still a part of the body of Christ. Oh, I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. His grace. Amen. His mercy endureth forever. And we thank God for that. So we don't look at somebody and say, well, you're not worthy to be marked. No, we're not welcome here. No, no, no. That's not what Paul is saying. But he's saying that there are some exceptional things that we can look for and that we can highlight. And that we can emulate and say, hey, this is a good thing. We need to allow this to influence our heart and influence our life. Is this good stuff or what? I mean, this is good stuff, practical stuff that Paul is giving to us. And so then look at what he says. He's talking about being followers together. Me mark them that walk so because you have them for an example. These are the people that you ought to celebrate and you ought to champion. Amen. In a couple Saturdays. Or uh, in a couple weeks, brother and sister Kessler will celebrate. What's the date? 
is your 50th wedding anniversary. And a few, uh, I think it was last year, the Frazee celebrated 50 years. Is your 50th this year? Last year was your 50th. Folks, in the world that we live in today, we ought to celebrate and champion that every chance you get. Amen. And so there's things where we say, hey, this is awesome. This is honorable. This is great. We thank God for that. And so we emulate that. But then now he's going to flip and he's going to show us that not only are there things that we should emulate and look at, but there are also things that we should mark and we should note and we should try to distance ourselves from or say, hey, that's not what we need to practice in our life. And so he goes on in verse 18. He said, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping. Now you see the passion of Paul. Paul said, not everybody's walking right. Not everybody that's claiming to be a Christian or claiming rather to be a believer of God is walking right. And he said, I've told you this before. I'm telling you again. And he's, we assume in this passage talking again about the Judaizers, which we referenced that last week. And he says, I tell you, even weepingly, I'm weeping. This grieves my heart. This disturbs my soul. He said, because they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And so Paul is letting us know, be careful, because there are people who are the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, not every pulpit in America is lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Not every pulpit in America, amen, is preaching the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says that they, they, uh, uh, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And so Paul says there are enemies also of the cross. Look at what he says here. He says who they mind. He said whose end is destruction, verse 19, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So we most likely think that he's talking about the Judaizers here because he talks about them in the first part of the chapter. And the Judaizers... We're making salvation obtainable through the observance of the law instead of the faith of Jesus Christ. And what they were doing, and we talked about this, how you can make legalism a point of salvation or an attempt at salvation, and Paul puts you in the same place as an agnostic or atheist who totally denies the gospel of Jesus Christ and says that our own humanity can save us. He puts them in the same place. And so here, they, they were saying that you can be saved by this legalistic rule. And what Paul said is they're enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because if we could be saved by some kind of legalistic rule, then Jesus Christ wasted his time coming down on the cross. And he wasted all of that suffering. Amen. But I'm here to tell you, he did not waste the cross. It was only through the shed blood, amen, of the perfect spotless lamb, amen, that I could have redemption and that I could have atonement and that I could have salvation. And so I don't want to take what God has given me, this beautiful thing in the cross of Jesus Christ, and say all of a sudden, no, you can't be, you can't be saved by that. You have to be saved by some kind of, kind of thing. You know there's weird people out there that come up with crazy doctrines? I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. 
There was a man that came out of Indianapolis, Indiana. The young people had probably never heard of him. His name was Jim Jones. He's not the owner of the Dallas Cowboys. This guy was, this was a guy before that. And Jim Jones was a Pentecostal preacher of sorts. And he would go around and he'd try to preach for some of our oneness preachers. And, uh, and he, he, he came to my home church. It was long before I was born, obviously. And he came to my home church and he came into the front office there. And the pastor at the time was, was a man by the name of N.A. Urshan. And he came in and he talked to Brother Urshan about Brother Urshan being a part of his little thing. And this was before he was totally whacked out. But in the end of the story, he takes a whole bunch of people down to South America and down there. And he's, he's the Messiah and he's all this stuff. And he gives them all cool, Kool-Aid and cyanide. And how many people was that there? Several hundreds of people that sat there and drank the Kool-Aid in obedience to him. They thought they were going to be saved by drinking some kind of poison Kool-Aid. And their life was going to pass. And that was going to bring salvation to them. Can I tell you, that's an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. If Paul said it this way. He said, if I or another, or even an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel. He said, let him be a curse. Can I tell you, we got to hold up the bloodstained banner of the cross. Amen. Because there's no other way to be saved except by the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to make enemies. I don't want to call people out. I don't want to say, hey, you're crazy, you're wrong. You're a demon, you're a devil, you're fighting the work of the cross. But Paul says, this is so important that we've got to identify. We've got to identify. You know that there are even some here in our community in the Metro East that are trying to resurrect the Mosaic Law? I don't know if you guys know this. Probably some of you do. Maybe some of you know that. But there are people going among some of us and others and they're trying to bring back the Mosaic law. And they're saying, we've got to observe the Passover. And we've, we've got to observe the Sabbath. And we've got to observe this. And if we don't do this, we're not true followers of Jesus Christ. Well, all of those people that are claiming to preach that and do that, they are taking Galatians, they are taking Romans, they're taking Philippians, they're taking all of these books and these epistles and all the teachings of Christ and they are totally throwing them out. They're taking the Bible and they're ripping it out. And the Bible says, Jesus says, don't you change one jot or tittle. Don't you change one little thing of the Word of God. John said that in the book of Revelation. Don't change the Word words of this book. Don't touch it. Paul said, if anybody else preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. He didn't say go cast a spell on them or curse them. That's not what he said. He said, let them be accursed. If that's what they're going to believe, you let them believe. But don't you let that in your house. Don't you let that in your home. Don't you let that in your heart. No, I still believe in the cross of Calvary. I still believe, amen, that somebody can walk in those back doors, come down to an altar repent of their sins and God completely and absolutely forgive them and fill them with his spirit and save them in that moment that's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ well, I don't know about you but I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ amen one of my spiritual uh, uh, my spiritual heritage in Indianapolis the man that really started the revival there was a man by the name of Bishop G.T. Haywood and he, he wrote songs that sometimes we'll sing like I see a crimson stream of blood 
He wrote many other publications and many other books and helped, helped really set a whole movement in, in place. He died at 54 years of age in 1934. And here we are, however many years still, talking about his influence and his impact. And he went to a holiness camp meeting where they believed in the outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord. But they believed you came one night and you got saved. And you come the next night and you got sanctified. And then you, and then you got the Spirit of the Lord. And he came in the first night. And the first night he got saved. He messed everybody's theology because he got saved and sanctified. Amen. Filled with the Spirit. All right there. Amen. Can I tell you, that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on. Look at what he says. Whose end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Now, now we can look at this verse and we can see how this verse applies to a secular carnal mindset, right? Whose end is destruction? Well, we can see, we, I mean, you can, put, you can put your worldly carnal kind of figure in there. Whose God is their belly, meaning literally they're serving after the desires of the belly. Of course, here, if he's referring to the Judaizers, he's talking about how they were saying, oh, I've got to adhere to a strict diet, and their diet became, amen, the leading cause. Of the, by the way, there's nothing wrong with dieting. There's nothing wrong with that. But the, didn't the Bible say in the last days that men would turn away from meats and have some weird... It was, it was alluding to there would be weird things. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how much... If you pay attention to what's happening in our culture, we're so obsessed with certain things that it's becoming like a religion. Because we have no religion. We, we've let go of everything. And so we have to serve something. And so now people, it's like they serve it. It's like, it's like a religious held belief around there. Now folks, if you don't like radishes, God bless you. I mean, you're, that's fine. But don't make, don't make like this crazy kind of doctrine over that. And that's what Paul said. Their God is their belly. They're, they're serving this certain set of things. Amen. Whose glory is in their shame. Now, this is an interesting thing. Shame. Shame. The word shame. If you want to do an interesting study, do a study on, the, on shame and the effects of sin. Because when sin enters into the garden, what does it say? It said they were naked and ashamed. That you cannot separate shame from sin. And so when sin first enters into man, there was nakedness, there was shame. But in the last days, the shame is going to become the thing that they glory in. You look in Scripture, everywhere that idolatry was practiced, there was nakedness that went along with it. You look in the Old Testament. Everywhere idolatry was practiced, nakedness went to it. Because when they stop serving God, and they start serving these idols, they're justifying, amen, their own shame. And so now to overcompensate, I guess, for the guilt of sin, because everybody has the guilt of sin in their life, to compensate for that guilt, they get emboldened in this shame. And isn't it interesting that as the world goes farther and farther, as the world gets more secular and secular, you look in the histories of antiquity, what happens? The clothes keep coming off. <laughs> and so now we have, we have stuff in our entertainment here in America where, wow, you know, that, what, what we're, we're calling acceptable, you know, 40 years ago was pornographic. 
Is this all right? And the Bible, he said, they glory in their shame. Do not let, amen. Now, now, God bless those people. They need to be saved. And I believe God can save them. I believe God, and I know people can be saved. But don't look at people like that and say, oh, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to emulate. That's why it's so dangerous. Amen. And, and we're blessed to have some wonderful apostolic young people here. But you guys better be careful who you make as your role models and your idols in life because you don't want to pick up something in the spiritual dynamic that you're chasing after, and you're thinking, I just, I just want to be cool like them, but in that attempt to be cool, you sell out, and you pick up all this other stuff. No, you should not have shame. There ought to be something different about you that people can't put their finger on it. <laughs> They're like, what is it about you? You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't act like everybody else. You don't look like everybody else, but yet you're so full of happy, and there's a beauty. There's something that radiates out of that. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And he said, who mind earthly things. They mind earthly things. So I want to have a spiritual mind. Don't let me mind earthly things. Now, you got to pay your bills. You got to mind, you got to mind certain things, right? Okay, that, not, so that's normal, okay? But don't make it your whole conquest in life for the carnal, the earthly things of this life. I'm not chasing after those earthly things in life. Make spiritual things your focus. And if I'd say this, I'm glad to have the youth in here tonight, and I believe in every single one of you, but at this point in your life, you are praying some of the most powerful prayers that you'll ever pray in your life right now. And it matters what you guys are praying. God has answered prayers in my life recently that I prayed when I was a teenager. God has blessed me in my life because of the prayers I was praying when I was a teenager. Thank God I was praying when I was a teenager, but then thank God that I was praying right things, things that I need in my life. So I, I never, amen, every time we have an altar call, every time we have an end of the service and the youth come forward, man, don't take that lightly because you don't know what God's doing in that moment. You don't know what, and you may be the only person in the youth group that, man, I, there's a lot of times where I felt like I was the only one going to the altar. I thought, well, maybe they were just preaching to me. <laughs> And so I needed it. You know what I learned to do? I learned as a teenager never to go to a church service without going to the altar. And I made a point, I'm going to the altar whether I need it or not. You know why? Because I know I need it. And if I don't think I need it, that's probably the time I need to go to the altar. And the prayers I pray, thank God for that. Let's go on. And he says here, and he's going on to the next thing, for our conversation is in heaven. Now this is beautiful. This is wonderful. This is good stuff here. He is now left talking about the cost of the prize, and now he's talking about the crown of the prize for our conversation. That old English word, conversation, is not just talking about the words that I'm saying, but it's talking about our community or even our citizenship abstractly. What he's saying is our conversation, our communication, our community, our citizenship is in heaven, literally. That's what he's saying. Our citizenship is in heaven. I am not a citizen of this world, he said, but I'm a citizen of a spiritual kingdom from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this in verse 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is even able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, folks, this is good. Turn to somebody and say, this is good. 
Come on, this is really good. Because he's now talking about, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Who? Those that are living in Christ, go back to verse 20, those that are living in Christ have a spiritual mind, and those that have a spiritual mind have a citizenship that is in heaven. Now, I thank God. I'm proud to be an American, and I thank God for that. I thank God for everything that that represents. And I, I give honor to all of our people that have gone on and done the best and are doing the best even today. There are good people out there that are making their best to make this the greatest, safest, most blessed place in the world to live. But can I tell you, this world's going to pass away. <laughs> and my citizenship does not rise or fall, amen, upon the successes of, of, of who is president or who's not president. My citizenship is in heaven. Amen? I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can forget that. And we can weave the, the American flag with the, with the cross of Christ and we forget. No, those things don't interweave together. Amen. There's, there's nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. That's my ultimate thing, the citizenship. And, and I am a part of a community of believers, amen, that are living for God right now in a communist country on the other side of the world. <laughs> People that, that are, we talked about it Sunday, that are whispering in China to have church and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a whisper because they're afraid for their life. Amen. That's the citizenship that I'm a part of. Amen. I'm a part of the, the community of believers that right now are over in, in some, some Middle Eastern countries that, that no one knows that they're out there, but they are living for God and serving the Lord. We're a part of that kind of community. Can I tell you? My passport just expired, and I had to get a new passport before I go to Germany and before I travel to Germany. Amen. But can I tell you, your citizenship in heaven, amen, the passport never expires. <laughs> Come on. This is spiritual stuff that Paul is saying. We're spiritual. Amen. And our community is in heaven. It's in eternity. Oh, what a wonderful thing. And he goes on and he says, look, we look or we wait for the Savior. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I am living for the moment that I am caught up to meet him. Or I am living for the moment that I am able to be a part of the everlasting kingdom of God. You ought to have a desire in your heart. I'm living for eternity. You ought to teach that to your children. You ought to teach that, amen, to your family. You ought to teach that to one another. You ought to keep that as a focus in your life. I'm living for something beyond this life. We thank God for that. I've got a citizenship beyond this life. So we don't sorrow as others sorrow. Is that all right when we, when we have funerals? We just, we just had the funeral or, or, or the Wells family and, the, and Apostolic Assembly just had the funeral for Elder Jeremy Wells, 39 years old. And what a wonderful minister of the gospel he was and bound by his handicap in that wheelchair, but he didn't let that hold him back. And uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a tragic thing, sudden loss. And there's wife and his children. It's a sad, sad, tragic thing. But we don't sorrow as other people sorrow. Amen? Because we have a hope beyond this life. Whatever God gives to us, amen. We thank God for what he gives to us. But we have a hope beyond this life. 
And this is what Paul goes on. Look at what he says. He's talking about the resurrection. Who shall change our vile bodies. That literally means the body of humiliation or the humble body. That it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Folks, now this is pretty awesome if you want to think about it. The Bible says that we will be like him. We shall be changed in a moment. We will be like him and we shall see him as he is. Think about this. You will have a body. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. And this mortality, this mortal, shall put on immortality. And we will have a body in eternity to where the Bible says that we can partake. Now, this is good. This is how good God is. That we can partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Praise the Lord. We'll be able to eat and all that stuff in heaven. So all those things that you like to do, amen, you can still do that in heaven. He said, but... We're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought. That's faster than the speed of light. As fast as you can think it, it's going to happen. Because he said, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, <laughs> we're going to be caught up together to meet him in the air. Now, man can only travel at such and such speed because um, whatever happens, if you put too many G-forces on man, his brain scrambles. You know that? And so man can't go too fast. If man goes too fast... If, if, you know, and they have to figure all this stuff out with the astronauts and all this stuff when they're traveling around. Because if they go too fast, their brain literally scrambles and they turn into a, a vegetative state and they no longer can function. But God says, I'm going to do something so great with your body, amen, that it can travel at the speed of thought. Christ had a body that walked through, amen, the wall. He walked through the wall. He didn't even need a door. And then the next moment, he stops being here and he's over here somewhere else. Amen. And can I tell you, God gave us all the expanse of the universe that they're still trying to find the end of and they can't find the end of. We're going to have bodies that can go around and explore the celestial heavens. We will know more than NASA, amen, after the rapture of Jesus Christ. Come on, anybody else think about that? You know why? Because he said, I saw the holy city descending down. And he said, there were 12 gates and every gate was of one solid pearl. But guess what? The gates are never closed. So when we get tired with heaven, amen, when we get bored with heaven, which is never going to happen, we can come and go as we please throughout all of God's creative space. Now, folks, if you even think you have an idea of what it's going to be like, we have a glimpse, but we don't know. Paul said, for I reckon that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. And songwriter said, it's going to be worth it all. Every heartache, every long mile, it's going to be worth it all. Hallelujah. I thank God. Every temptation, every trial, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. We're going to look back and say, you mean I was worried about that? I was worried about that? Oh, my goodness, here we are. We made it. We, we shouldn't have even worried. We shouldn't have even fretted. It's beyond what we could even think. And he says this. He said, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What is he able to do? He's able to overcome death. Because he's an absolute God. He's the absolute God that has no beginning, that has no ending. And if God says you're not going to die and death is going to have no more hold on you, it's not. that's how Paul could write later on. He could say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And there's no hold over us. We ought to thank God for that. Amen. He is, it's the work of the absolute God that can make finite creatures. Amen. Mortal man immortal. 
And we thank God for that. That's what we're living for. This is Paul's focus. This is what Paul says keeps me going. By the way, this is the epistle where he talks about joy more than anything else. You want to get happy? Stop focusing on this world. Turn off the news for goodness sake. Open up the Bible and look at what we got to look forward to. There's, this is awesome. This is great. And so we, we, we've got to know this. We've got to know this. This is good stuff. Amen. So let's go on now. We're, we're coming. Oh, looks like our time's up tonight. And let's go, let's go to chapter 4 real quick, and we'll look at this, and, and we'll come back, and we'll finish this next week. But in Jesus' name, O ye of little faith, hallelujah. All right. So we're looking at chapter 4, life's power. So, so we've looked at all these other, but chapter 4 is life's power, and now we're looking at the secure mind in Christ. When you, you talk about eternity, you talk about, amen, what Christ is going to do in the resurrection, man, there's just a confidence that comes in there, that comes into your heart. And here's the key verse. We end up in chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's not arrogance. Amen. That is confidence. <laughs> Come on, that's not over-calculating things, that is faith. That is knowing the power of Christ and knowing what happens when I align myself with life in Christ. There is nothing that is impossible. Life's power. So this power comes to us only in Christ. That's the whole point. He's talking about Christ, 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 Christ. And we're talking about life in Christ. The power, amen, of the gospel only works when you're in Christ. This thing only works, folks, if you take it off the shelf, if you check it out, take it home with you, and you live with it. You can't just show up, amen, to church ever so often and say, preacher, pray over me and hope that that works. No, you've got to take it for yourself. Amen? So it's not just good enough. It's not sufficient. Think about it. It doesn't make sense. You're going to go confess your sins to a priest, and he's going to forgive you, and you think that's going to work? No, you've got to have more than that. You need more than that. I, don't, I need more than that. I need the overcoming victory and power of the Holy Ghost alive in my life. And so we're going to look at power in five different areas here. Power um, in five different areas. So let's go to the first set of verses. and We'll look at verses 1 through 3. And we're going to start off with power that unifies. Power that unifies. So we're talking about life's power. And Paul's going to give us five segments of power here. Or, or five characteristics of the power of God. And the first is power that unifies. Verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown. Now, this is Paul showing some favoritism here. Because Paul loved the church at Philippi. Remember that the church of Philippi was where Paul and Silas sang at midnight. and The, the jailer was converted after the... The, uh, the shackles and the walls, the gates, the doors opened up. And all this great revival there. And he had an endearment to these people and they to him. And he says, my joy and my crown. Look at what he says. So stand fast in the Lord. And so Paul's joy and crown, he's telling them. He's letting them know the power, amen, that is in the Lord. Amen. Unites you, amen, with the Lord. Stand fast. Some translations or versions would use the terminology stand firm, but literally what that means in that, in that standing fast, it means that you are unmovable, that you are persevering though, 
that you are unmovable, persevering, and uh, you cannot be shaken, you cannot be moved, but you are standing fast in the Lord. You're stationary, you're planted, amen, you're not moving. Can I tell you, if you are constantly uh, vacillating back and forth and up and down, maybe your insecurity is not uh, the external problems, but it's your position in Christ. And if you will focus on being in Christ, there is a stability, a, a stationary point, an unmoving that comes inside of your life. So stand fast in the Lord. It's God's will that you be unmovable. You know when the test of true faith comes. It's not when you're on the mountaintop. It's when the storms come. When the storms blow. That's where the test comes. So you may be going through a test. You may have come out of a test. You may go into a test later on. But our faith is manifest by how unmovable we are. How strong is your faith in God when others talk about you? How strong is your faith in God when sickness comes? How strong is your faith in God when all of a sudden the, the, the checkbook doesn't balance? How strong is your faith in God when everything is taken out from underneath you? How strong is your faith in God? Well, it's unmovable. It's unshakable. Amen. Why? If you're in Christ, it's unmovable. You, that's why they used to sing the song, I shall, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. I'm not going to be moved. That was, that was a, that was a, it wasn't a chant, but that was a declaration of saying, hey, I am in Christ. I will not be moved. Sometimes you've got to just, you just got to tell life, I will not be moved. Is that all right? I used to ride my bike a whole lot. I haven't been riding it much lately. I need to ride it more. And uh, you get to a wall. You get to a place where all of a sudden your legs are screaming at you. You, you know, if you're wanting to do a long distance, you know, I used to do 60 miles pretty regularly, and you get to about mile 45 or 50, and you, all of a sudden your legs are screaming at you. And I was reading an article, and somebody said, how do you make it up those mountains when you're going up, when you're going up the, the hillside and, and, and you can't stop? And he says, I just tell my legs to shut up. <laughs> now, I, 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 had, I have to confess something. I hope maybe we can take this off the recording. I don't know if this is telling me, but I've had a few times where I was riding my bikes and I, I, I said, okay, I, I'm at that point. I got to try it. And I told my legs to shut up. It worked. People probably thought, man, that guy's lost his mind. You know, here he goes. But it worked. But sometimes in life, you got to say, hey, I'm not going to be moved. You got to affirm yourself. No, I'm not. No, -uh, I feel you. I feel your pressure. I feel your life, but I will not be moved. Stand Fast, he said, in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So, so the first thing we see here is we see that firmness, that unmoving. And then the second verse, he goes on, I beseech Euodias and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So he's talking about a conflict or a discrepancy, let's say, that's in the church. And Paul is saying, be united in Christ. Be in the same mind in the Lord. Get together. Can I tell you, that's why it's important we worship together. That's why it's important that we pray together. 
Amen. Because when we get together, we let the Holy Ghost, amen, bring unity among us. Let's be intentional about getting in the mind of Christ. Let's lay aside our little differences and our little things and all of our little different ideas. And let's be unified together in Christ. If you are in the Lord, you will want unity with the body. Disunity is not acceptable in the body of Christ. And so there's a desire for unity in the Lord. So stay in the Lord. And there's this desire for unity. And then verse 3, he goes on and says, Yoke fellow, he said, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. And so we see here this unity in the Lord. He's, He's entreating those Yoke fellow. I like that word, yoke fellow. Hey, we are laboring together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know we are carrying the burdens of the thing. We are serving together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help the fellow laborers. Help those that are around. Maybe maybe they don't look just like you or fulfilling the same role as you, but they're laboring in the gospel. And he explicitly pointed out the great women that helped him labor in the gospel at the church in Philippi. And he said, look, we are laboring together in the gospel. Can I remind you that Paul said in the body of Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. There is no male, there is no female, there is no bond, there is no free. We are all together in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, we thank God for the way He created us, and He blessed us, male, female, amen. And He created us in certain languages, certain nationalities, certain ethnicities, and all those things. Those are things, amen, that God did to make the world beautiful. We thank God for that, but together in Christ, we don't, amen, look and say, well, hey, you're this or you're that or you're, no, we are all together in the body of Christ, and we are united together in Christ Jesus. Folks, when we get to heaven, contrary to some people's thinking, there's not going to be a male section and a female section and a white section and a black section. Uh Uh-uh. We're going to be the redeemed. Amen. We're going to be there together. There are no male and female in heaven. There is no black and white in that sense. Amen. We are all bought with the price and we'll bring, amen, our different complexities and we will worship him all in our own language and in our own tongue, but we're going to lift our voice together in a single hallelujah. So Paul was letting us know, hey, be united together in Christ. So we come into the house, men, amen. Men ought to show that respect, those right respects. And we keep those respects and maintain those respects to women. But you don't look, amen. That's, why, that's where the practice, you know, of brother and sister came from. We're, we're, we're respecting one another. Hey, my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ. This is not just another woman. This is not just another man. This is a brother and a sister in Christ. This is somebody that we are together, knitted together in the body of Christ. And so we are united together. That's the power. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of unity. We need to tap into that. Stand together with me tonight. And we'll come back next week and we'll pick up chapter 4 and we'll finish on what a wonderful, wonderful epistle that Christ has given to us here through the mouth of the Apostle Paul. Power that unifies. Amen. We may not agree on everything, but there's a lot of things we can't agree on. <laughs> One thing, we need, we need more of the Lord in this world. Our community needs more of the Holy Ghost. 
We need more lifting up and exalting the name of God. We need more declaring the gospel of God. We need more proclaiming of the truth of Jesus Christ. We, that we, we cannot have too much preaching on the love of God, on the grace of God, on the power of the Spirit of God, on repentance, on the work of the cross, on holiness in our life and the power, amen, that it brings overcoming sin. We cannot have too much of that, and so we ought to be unified together. Amen. Would you lift your voice with me and thank God for His Spirit. God, I thank you tonight for your word. And I thank